29 AD, there was one about to change the world. Fully man, fully God, Jesus. Next to him was a friend who witnessed everything. He saw early miracles. He sat at his right hand. His own eyes saw Jesus transfigured. The very heart of Christ was poured out to him, and he was there at the cross on the day history was altered. These are the words and the story of John. All right, guys. Again, uh, I think everyone's been here, but I'm, I'm Kyle Moore, um, one of the discussion leaders, also um, a leader in Heart of a Man, and have the opportunity to, to teach to you guys today. And, um, man, I just feel it on my heart as, I, as we were closing this group and I was, as I was leading into this lecture, um, you know, it, it takes time to, to write these lectures and, um, and there's work and there's iterations and, and this lecture in particular has been unique in that as I, I, I'd, I'd be writing and I'd, I'd, as I'm writing, I'm really sensing like this is what the Lord is putting before me. I could feel that. I'm like, man, I know this is what the Lord's putting. But then every time I'd, I'd get a section complete, it was like something would happen and it was making me think like, no, no, this is no good anymore. This is no good. And I look at it and then I'd be like, no, I know this is what God put on my heart. I know it. And I'd push through and then he would confirm that. And then that would happen again and again. And uh, yesterday it was nine at night. And I'm practicing this and and I'm looking at it. I'm like, ah, oh, it's too long, man. It's too long. I'm going to run out of time. And I'm trying to cut stuff out. And, and I'm just like, you know what? No. I know this is what I'm supposed to say. And God, if this is what I'm supposed to say, then let it be the right amount of time. And I ran through this, and it lasted 23 minutes. I'm like, that's right what I'm aiming for. And, but my point in that is that something's going on. There's somebody in here. There's a couple guys in here who God's, God's pulling on your heart. I don't know it for sure, but I know it. I feel it. If, if you feel like God is pulling on your heart and he's telling you, man, you know, you've heard me and you've listened to me, but you don't love me. Like, you don't love me. You don't love me. Like, you, it's your wife and she's looking at you and she's going, you've said you're committed to me, but you don't love me. If that's you, I hope that as you listen tonight, that whatever point that hits your heart, that you will come up here and you will pray and say, God, I want to love you. I want to love you. I, I don't want to. I don't want to keep keep pretending I love you or not knowing whether I love you. I'm I'm committing it to it now. Like when you stand up on this stage, I saw my brother Scotty come get married right here, and he he was married on this stage. He said, "I'm committing to love Jenny, my wife." And I pray. I hope that one of you will will come do that tonight. We're we're not altar call guys, but we're here because we want you to love Jesus. And so I pray if that hits your heart, man, come up here and come join the family because we're here and we want to celebrate that with you. So that wasn't in my script, but I, I, I just feel it on my heart. So tonight, um, yeah, it's good. So let the, let the Holy Spirit speak. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to pray first and then I'll jump into this. Father God, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd wash over this group and wash over these men if there's... <laughs> There's, there's one guy who, who needs that, Lord. I, I feel it. Brother, I love you. Brother, I love you. And that's God's love for you. And he wants you to know he loves you. And he's saying, just come love me back. Just come love me back. I want to be, I want you to feel like you're part of my family. I want you to abide in me, to connect to me, to have all this nourishment that I can pour into you. I want you to have it. 
And everyone else here, Lord, I pray as these brothers who do know you, Lord, that we would hear this and we would connect to you, Lord. When this night ends, we would be like, man, I want to love God and connect to him. And I want his power to flow through me and I want it to nourish the people around me. Lord, do that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I get to teach on chapter 15 of the book of John. And uh, in this text, there's one word which has really stood out to me as as I've read through this. And it... Jesus used it 11 times, and it's the word abide. If you have a different translation, it might say remain or continue, but abide is what the ESV says, and it really just has stood out to me. And that's what I'm going to focus on. The aim tonight, is, as you can hear, is, um, is that each guy here would leave with a practical understanding of what it means to abide in Jesus. How do you actually live that? And then you'd walk away feeling motivated to do that, to actually abide in Jesus Christ. If I gave this thing a title, it would be Abide Applied. That's as marketing as I get. (laughs) And so I'm going to try to answer three questions for us. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? How do I abide in Jesus? And then how can I know I'm abiding in him? So the first question is, What does it mean to abide in Jesus? In John 15, 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless unless you abide in me. It's a word that's almost never used in our American vocabulary. And it's, it's it's so odd, yet Jesus uses it 11 times. He's driving this word home, abide, 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 abide. And so as I read it, I'm like, Man, I, I got to figure this thing out. I got to figure out what in the world is he talking about? And so Jesus is a great teacher and great teachers use great illustrations so that their students can understand the point and it makes sense and it, can, it leaves an image in their heads. In John 15, five, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, You can't do anything. You can do nothing. There's lots of scholars who have amazing, deep theological explanations of this concept. And and we believe that our job here at Heart of a Man is to to help you apply that, to help um, ask, how do we live that? And that leads me back to the questions of who was Jesus' audience and what was his purpose? What was he trying to accomplish? And we're back where we've been, which is, It's a group of simple, non-scholarly guys that he's talking to. And the scene is that he's about to leave his disciples on their own, and he's trying to help them know what to do. He's providing an illustration, a word picture that they can keep in their minds when things change and get difficult. And so what's the point that he's making? He's saying, I am a vine. I'm the vine. And your branches If you're not connected to me, you're not going to do anything good. A broken off branch is no good. And so his point is this, stay connected to me. It's just stay connected to me. When you hear abide or continue or remain in me, he's saying stay close, stay connected so that the nutrients I have and the things you need from me can easily flow from me straight into you. He says, I'm a vine your branch. If you want to have what you need, stay attached to me. It's simple. So the question is, what are you attached to? Are you attached to an addiction like pornography or alcohol? 
Are you attached only to yourself, thinking about what you want, what you need, or how others are hurting you? Or are you trying to truly be attached to just Jesus? Jesus says, I am the true vine. What are you attached to? So the second question, hard question, is how do we abide? If Jesus is the vine and he's calling us to stay attached or connected to him, how in this world do we do that? In Matthew 7, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's not as many guys here in this room tonight. I'm not saying anything about the guys who aren't here, but the way who the guys who find the way, those who find the way are few. I'm about to share some of the core tenets of what it takes to stay truly connected to Jesus. And, and some of us in here are gonna groan when we hear them because in our minds, we're gonna be thinking, come on, tell me something I don't know. I, I know those are the Christian things to do. But if we're honest, we're groaning because those Christian activities are the ones which take grit and tenacity and endurance and God's strength to practice day in and day out, year after year after year. The way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So how do we stay connected to Jesus? In Matthew 22, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the, the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets, on those two. When I worked at Packmore, one of the roles that I held was that of the lead technical trainer. And one of my responsibilities in that job was to create, organize, and execute new hire orientation. During that time, I added a new segment to orientation, which was Q&A with the, with the founder and CEO, Bill Moore. And uh, I really liked listening in on that time because I'd get to hear stories maybe I hadn't heard before, but especially because my dad always made a point of, of explaining to people why Packmore focused so heavily on values over rules. In a rules-based culture, there's clear rules which are very restrictive and the ownership of, of adhering to the rules falls not on the members, but on the ones in charge and their ability to catch or police the members. We didn't want to live that way. We didn't want to be having to police all of our people and try to catch them. And so we wanted a values-based culture. And in a values-based culture, the leadership sets clear parameters in the form of values. For us at Packmore, it was for fire, faith, family, integrity, respect, and excellence. And then in that, the members receive both freedom and responsibility because the ownership falls on each member to determine internally does what I am doing fit in with the values which I have agreed to follow? Guys, as I hope you can tell, I've been, I've been praying and working as diligently as I can, asking God, 
how do we abide? How, how do we do it? And truthfully, I was kind of hoping, like, show me a formula, you know? Give me the bullet points of what, what that might be. And I'm standing there in the sanctuary singing, and he answered me again like he did two weeks ago. I was asking, well, what, what do I say here, Lord? And, and he said, it's in Matthew 22. Love God and love others. Jesus has set forth two clear values for us, and he's telling us if you live inside of those values, all of the law and the prophets depend on those. If you want to abide in Jesus Christ, love God and love others. And underneath that, you have the freedom and the responsibility to translate it down from there. So the first value is love God. How do we love God? <laughs> Love's not prescriptive. I'd love to give you a checklist, but I can't. But here's a few ideas of what your love for God lived out might look like and, and should look like. Number one is that, and this is, this is a must, this is prescriptive, this has to happen. Believe in him and humbly receive the gift of salvation in Jesus. In John 13, Jesus says, he's talking to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. <laughs> After our, our daughter Annie was born, my wife finally gave in to the idea that a minivan was the right vehicle for our family. If you know me, I'm a practical guy, and so I was like, minivan, minivan, we gotta get, she, she finally gave in to it, and um, but I remember standing in the parking lot of the dealership and, and my wife giving me a big hug and just being like, man, I, I, I'm really, I'm genuinely so excited. I love my minivan. She still says, says that to me. She's like, I love my minivan. And, uh, and every time she says that, I feel so loved. I feel loved because she loves the gift that I gave her. When we love and accept Jesus, God's gift to us, God's own son, who is also one with God, we are loving God himself. When we love Jesus, we're loving God. How else do we love God? By knowing and obeying his commands. And this may seem counter to what I said. You're like, oh, well, you just said we're doing values, not rules. It, it works. So in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Our love leads us to following his commands, and that shows him our love. Our love comes first. When I stand up here and share stories about my dad and how our relationship and his wisdom has helped me grow, I can watch my eyes dads get, or my eyes dads, I can watch my dad's eyes get misty. And what's my dad feeling? He spent a long time telling me the way and showing me the way. Telling me the way and showing me the way. And when I live out the instructions which he has given me, he knows I have received and believe that his words are true. And through that, he, he knows I love him and I respect him and I am grateful for him. And I experience that with my daughters as little as they are. When I say, do this, and they do it, it's like, oh, I feel like you love me because you did what I told you to do. It was good for you, and you, and, and you did it. 
God is our Father, and He's given us this beautiful book called the Bible, and it's filled with fatherly wisdom. And it's meant to help us because He loves us. Do you want to love God? Spend time in His Word, learning the wonderful fatherly wisdom which He has given to us, and then obey the instruction which He has given. A third way that you can love God is by praying to Him. If prayer is meant to be an act of love towards God, the question is, what should, what should that prayer look like? In Matthew 6, Jesus shares what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he tells us what our prayer should look like. Prayers that are loving towards God are humble. They recognize our faults, our shortcomings, and our needs for him. Jesus says, forgive us, feed us, lead us, deliver us. He says, I, I need, we need you, God. They should be selfless, thinking about other people. Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us. He's praying not just for himself. He's praying for the people around him. He's thinking about other people. He's thinking about God's other children. That kind of prayer shows God we love him. Prayer should be grateful, recognizing how good God is. It says, our father, he's our dad who gives to us and loves us. It says, hallowed be your name. He's holy and perfect, and yet he invites us to talk, <laughs> to talk with him. Seeking God's will over our own should be the last aspect of that prayer. He says, your kingdom come and your will be done. If you want to love God, prayer the way Jesus has modeled it should be an active part of our daily lives. Abiding in Jesus means that you are committing to love him. How will you love him better tonight or tomorrow? The second value was love others. How do we love others? In 1 John 4, the apostle John, who wrote this book that we're studying, says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. For who he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from God. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the verse that started what we do here at Heart of a Man. I just moved to Indianapolis and was going to, going to church here at College Park and I met my buddy Dave Shaftstall, who's around here somewhere. And when I met Dave, you've heard his story before. He was a mess, self-proclaimed. And he was a hard guy to be around. And he wanted to be my friend. And I did not want to be his. I did not. I really did not want to be Dave's friend. And then I read this scripture, that scripture, and I heard God say, if you don't love Dave, you don't love me. So, how do we love others? It's similar to loving Jesus. It's not prescriptive. If you want one idea, you've heard us say it a lot. Serving is a great way to love people. How else do you love others? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. That depends on you. Who is in your life that has a need? This is where it gets gritty because you gotta care. You have to care. 
The human default is to love ourselves and to let other people serve us. But if you want to abide in Jesus, the calling is to love God and to love others. So in comparison to the other commitments in your life, how committed are you to loving God and loving others? My third and final section, the question is, how can I know I'm truly abiding in Jesus? This is cool. I love this, you guys. Um, it's convicting. That last section's convicting, but God's like, man, I'm not just going to let you think that nothing's happening. There's going to be stuff where you can know, and so let's talk about it. The first thing he says is that you bear fruit. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit. And so what should we expect to see? Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. You guys could rattle them off. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I'm not going to do the whole list. When you go look at yourself, when you look in the mirror, what sort of growth do you see? The first fruit that Paul mentions in Galatians is love. And in John 15, where we are tonight, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We've been pressing on this over the last three weeks. What are you giving to others? Who are you serving? And how are you exercising compassion? One way you can know that you are abiding is through making a sober assessment of your fruit. Are you becoming more patient, more filled with peace, more gentle with your kids and your wife, more self-controlled with your eyes when the beautiful woman walks by? True believers bear real fruit, even if it's slowly or in, in small amounts starting out. What do your fruits say about your connection to Jesus? The second way you can know that you're abiding in Jesus is that you get pruned. Giddy up. John 15, chapter, uh, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Getting pruned is brutal, you guys. It's brutal. In the, in the, in the weeks and especially the days leading up to this lecture, I started to see more clearly Thankfully to some of the people around me, um, I have this thing called perfectionism, which is a very nice way of saying I'm extremely critical to myself and to the people around me. And, and I see it showing up in lots of ways, but in two, two of them are recently, of, I've done a lot of work on the house with my dad, and we've had some people at our houses, and I've washed dishes with my wife, and in both those scenarios, the phrase, not good enough is the one that would echo in my dad's ears and in my wife's ears. And that puts a burden on them and that doesn't make them feel loved and cared for and that's not who I want to be. And God has been saying to me, don't, don't be that way anymore, Kyle. Be kind and loving, not critical and judging. When we're abiding in Jesus, God starts chopping off the bad parts of us so that instead of making bad fruit, we produce fruit that glorifies him and helps the people around us. 
What tendencies or sins in your life does God need to remove so that you can bear more good fruit? The third thing that you will see is that the people around you get nourished by the fruit that you produce. <laughs> I think about George taking Mahmoud to the, to the hospital. He's being nourished by the fruit that, that George has coming out. It's pretty cool. Think about this analogy of the wine, the branch, and the fruit. When the branch produces fruit, who benefits from it? From the fruit, not the branch. The branch doesn't benefit from the fruit. When we look back at the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, a few of these, like joy and peace, are ones from which we personally benefit. But all the others are only proven to be valuable within relationships with other people. If you are truly abiding in Christ and producing good fruit, the people around you will experience the benefits and the joys of those fruits. When I was in high school and in, in junior high, my dad was teaching, uh, was teaching Bible study fellowship to a group much, much like this. And I can remember we'd go out for jogs together and he'd talk about what he was learning and, and what God was telling him. And I can, I can just remember it. My brother and I talk about it. My mom and I talk about it. That, and we see this now still. When, when my dad has been and is diligently in the word, and he's seeking God's voice and he's, and he's asking, Lord, what do you want me to say? What, what needs to change in me? What, what do you, what's wrong in me? Show me the way. He's different and he's better and we benefit from it. And our house is different and our life is different and my world is different because he's digging into the word because he's committed to God. My life gets better. When we abide in Jesus, the fruits we produce nourish the people who are near to us. How might the people close to you describe the impact which your fruits, good or bad, are having on them? Finally, if you're abiding in Christ, God will be glorified. John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There's lots of people in this world who explicitly do not follow Jesus, and yet they do things that are loving, kind, patient, and generous. But who or what do those fruits point to? Themselves, an organization, a social cause, When the fruits which you bear cause people to see and glorify Jesus and not you, those are fruits which confirm you are abiding in Jesus. If the fruits coming out of you glorify, the, glorify God, you're abiding in Jesus. Take heart. Take confidence in that. Be excited. Rejoice when you see something in you made the world better for the people around you. Rejoice because you can say, I'm, I'm abiding. I'm connected to Jesus. As you have assessed yourself during this message, to whom do the fruits of your life bring attention and glory? Who are they bringing glory to? We are branches being invited by Jesus to stay connected to him, the true vine. 
And so my questions to you are, what's God saying to your heart right now? Who do you love? What kind of fruit are you bearing? Is the fruit of your life glorifying you? Or is it glorifying God? Stay connected to Jesus by loving him and loving others. And as you do that, allow yourself to be pruned and to bear the fruit which nourishes others and which glorifies God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are holy and we're grateful for you and we know that you're at work. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and I pray that each one of us would truly leave here tonight and we would want to attach to you. We would want to love you and we would want to love others. Let's not overcomplicate it, Lord. Let us focus on those values that you've given us. And whenever we're in a moment, just say, is that loving God? Is that loving others? Help us to think in those terms, Lord, so we don't think pharisaically, Lord. We don't get focused on the rules or the laws or, or, or even just the actions. Let us not get focused on ourselves, Lord. Let us get focused on you and loving you and loving others, and I pray that the fruit that we bear would help the people around us and that it would glorify you, God. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.